I'd like to welcome you to the Jed Hughes Podcast. Each episode will feature a unique leader and will delve into the qualities that inspire greatness, galvanize organizations, and teach the next generation of aspiring leaders. Jed ran the process that resulted in the hiring of Pete Carroll, Jim Harbaugh, Andy Reid, Masai Uzuri. Now, according to Forbes, Jed is the most connected man in sports. My guest today shows how hard work and dedication can allow you to move from relatively unknown schools and background to being the winningest coaches in NCAA basketball. Dana Altman, a native of Omaha, attended Southeast Community College before graduating from Eastern New Mexico University. He went on to be tutored by Lon Cougar at Kansas State and was the head coach both at Marshall, Kansas State, Creighton, and Oregon. At Oregon, he's won 20 games the last 10 seasons and has made it to the Final Four. He's taken a program in the Northwest and through utilizing all aspects of recruiting, whether it be high school, junior college, international, or transfers, has continued to build a model program that competes on an annual basis and hosts one of the most difficult environments in home court basketball. Dan Alton, the head coach of the University of Oregon. Dana, one of your trademarks has been adaptability. Under under this season, it takes it to the next level. Absolutely, Jed. It's uh, been a, a very strange year, you know, with no preparation in the summer. You know, I really like those eight weeks in the summer that we get to spend with our team. We didn't have any time, you know, in or September and October really to get ready uh, before the season, before practice started. So, a very unusual year as far as development and working with our players and and now the ups and downs and told the players right up front, uh, you know, this is going to be a year where you just got to get, you know, you let things go. You know, as a coaching staff, we got to let things go. You know, we just kind of got to go day to day and week to week and schedules are all messed up and getting guys to where they're supposed to be because of Zoom meetings and that uh, is a little different, but our guys have handled it well, you know, and I think partly because we've got an old team, you know, we've got four seniors, Jed, and that, that really helps, you know, they can adjust a little bit. They've been through ups and downs of previous seasons. So they've done a good job. Well, you've done it all sorts of different ways at Oregon. I mean, uh, you think about whether it's transfers, one and done Canadians, international. I mean, you're in your 11th year, you won over 675 games. I mean, Unbelievable. I remember when uh, we approached you with uh, Phil and uh, Pat about the opportunity to come to Oregon and how it's worked out for you. I've really enjoyed it. You know, the people here have been great. I've been really fortunate, Jed, coaching at Creighton for 16 years and and now here starting our 11th. uh, You know, you talk about two great places to coach. I was at Kansas State before that, enjoyed my time there, 
especially as an assistant with Coach Kruger. So I've been really fortunate to be at really great places. I think being adaptable or being able to adjust is so important today with the rules changing. Uh, you know, we're the only sport where, you know, the one and done, you know, football has to go and stay three years, baseball stay three years, you know, basketball, you know, is one and done. And I think football and some of the other sports are going to have to adjust now when they change the transfer rules where guys can put their name in the portal and be immediately eligible. I think other sports are going to have to adjust the same manner as basketball coaches have had to the last 10 years with guys going one and done, a lot of guys transferring, the grad transfer rule. Uh, you know, you just have to, to stay up with times. You know, players want opportunities. As a coach, I just want players who want to be here. You know, I want players who want to be at Oregon, want to work with us to try to win the Pac-12. We feel like if we win the Pac-12, that puts us in a position to, to go to an Elite Eight, a Final Four, which we've been fortunate enough to do. And, and we've gone to a couple Sweet 16s, but those have all been with championship teams that won the Pac-12. It's interesting. Go back to your background. You were an assistant coach. and You mentioned Lon Kruger in terms of being an impact before you got your first head job at Marshall. So talk a little bit about how Lon has impacted your your philosophy. Well, I've been really fortunate, Jed. Even going back before that, I played for high school coach Dave Oman, who was unbelievable. Uh, Gary Bargan in junior college. Uh, Larry Riley, uh, who became the, the GM for the Golden State Warriors, uh, was my college coach in Eastern New Mexico. And then I worked for his twin brother, graduate work for Mike Riley at uh, Western Colorado. So really fortunate to have great mentors, but Coach Kruger for three years, uh, Jed, I learned so much from him. You know, I was 27 when I went to Kansas State as an assistant. I'd been a junior college coach right. and, uh, and worked for Coach Kruger for three years and to learn something about Division One, And, you know, I just learned so much from him. His, he's got a great, great offensive mind. I mean, he sees things offensively that, you know, I – uh, I really admire, you know, I just think he's, he's got a great basketball mind and, and he was a great basketball player. He's got a great feel for the game and just watching him for three years, you know, I learned so much and I try to run my program and handle my assistants, you know, like he handled us. He gave us a lot of freedom to work. His expectations, you know, were that, Hey, you want it as bad as, as I do. Let's, let's get to work. And, I've been fortunate because I've had great assistants. You know, Tony Stubblefield now has been with me for 11 years. He's great. Uh, Kevin McKenna has been with me 19. And uh, Josh Jamison, 10, going on his 11th. Uh, Mike Menega, our staff here, six years. But before that, Brian Fish for 15 years. Len Gordy for 16. Darren DeVries at Drake now for 12. Greg Grinzing for 15. I was so fortunate to have guys, you know, that really stuck with me and uh, wanted to win. You know, they wanted to compete as coaches. You know, that's something that's not talked about. Uh, you got to have competitive coaches. You know, you got to have guys that want to get out there and they want to win for that feeling also. To have a great staff that is very competitive and wants to win, Jed, you know, I think it's essential to try to compete at a, at a high level. So when you talk about your assistance in terms of responsibilities, clearly. You know, when people have been with you that long, there's something you're doing in terms of making them feel like they're really part of what they're part of the process, part of the program, empathy, 
you know, things that you're doing with them and their families are making them feel important. Not every head coach is like that. Now, I've, I had a good fortune to work with seven Hall of Fame coaches like Chuck Knoll and Bo Schembechler and Bud Grant and Tony Dungy and people like that. But what you're talking about isn't the norm. I mean, most guys are looking for their next job as opposed to want to, you know, be loyalists, like talking about a senior class where you've got four, you know, four seniors that are starters and are helping you through this pandemic, so to speak. Let's talk a little bit about how you've been able to keep this group together. There must be some things you do that they really feel good about. Well, you know, first of all, I, I really listen to my guys, you know, Tony Stubblefield defensively is, is very good. And so he and I sit down and talk a lot about the defense, Kevin McKenna offensively. I think Mike Menega is one of the best development guys and Josh, you know, for 11 years, we couldn't run the place without Josh, you know, and, and I'll let those guys know that. And I let our administration know that publicly. I say it as often as, as I can, because I want those guys to know, you know, this is, this is a team effort and whether we win or whether we lose, it's, it's banked on all of us. You know, I, I hope they feel that and same way at Creighton. Now, again, Jed, I, I'm working at great places. You know, people want to stay at Creighton. People want to stay at Oregon. And so that helps out tremendously. But, you know, I think the other factor is we really listen to each other. You know, those guys have stuck with me. You know, a great example, two years ago, we were 15 and 12 and weren't playing well at all. You know, I changed the starting lineup. I changed everything we were doing. And and our assistants, you know, they they believed in that and they sold it to the players. We go on a, you know, a 10 game winning streak and lose to Virginia in the sweet 16 by four, you know, and the year that Virginia won it, that couldn't have happened unless the, you know, the assistant coaches really believed in what we were doing and, and helped me translate that to the players and get the players to buy into it. And so we were very fortunate there, but it also illustrated to me, you know, that I got a very loyal coaching staff. Because at 15 and 12, we were getting hammered by the press and everybody else, and uh, it didn't look good. And, and uh, But the, the assistants never gave up, and, and we were able to close the season on a 10-game winning streak and, again, had a chance against Virginia, just weren't tough enough to pull it off. Well, I, I think one interesting story is um, how you ended up going from uh, Kansas State to Creighton. I mean, that was kind of a in the dark, in the night uh, kind of thing in terms of how they recruited you? You know, it was a, a different situation. I, I went after Coach Kruger and uh, was there four years. Right. Um, we went to, we didn't go to postseason first year, but then we went to the NIT and then the NCAA tournament. And then my last year there, we went to the final four of the NIT. You know, I had four different ADs. They weren't happy with me. And I, at times I weren't happy with them. And, and so we were fighting quite a bit. And Creighton came to me, Bruce Rasmussen, who uh, was just starting as the AD there, and said, we want to build something at Creighton. You know, we're not very good right now, but we really want to build something. We want you to, to come and build it, and uh, we'll give you all the resources that we have. And so they gave my staff and myself the same salaries. They talked about, you know, chartering everywhere, you know, really trying to compete. With that kind of support, we were able to to build Creighton's program. You know, I'm I'm from Nebraska, Omaha. Yeah, so I know you're Omaha. Wife's from Nebraska, right. so you got back home. <laughs> yeah, we had four young children at the time, and 
You know, it was it was really good for our family life to get everybody there because Reba was, you know, an hour and a half from her home. I was an hour and a half from my home, grandparents. And then all the aunts and uncles were in Omaha or my hometown, Wilbur. So everybody was close and uh, it worked out great for 16 years for, for my family, for our children to grow up in Omaha with their aunts and uncles and grandparents around. Uh, Family-wise, it couldn't have worked any better, Jim. When you think about turning around a program, which you did in, in, at several different stops, what's the key to changing the culture and, and getting people to buy in? Well, I, I think, you know, just being yourself and being consistent. You know, um, we had a slogan at, at Creighton. Uh, when we got there, work hard and good things will happen. You know, and I just kept telling players, I don't know when they're going to happen, but <laughs> they're going to happen. You know, if we work hard, something's good is going to happen here. And uh, individually and collectively, it's going to happen. You know, it took three, four years. Uh, I think our fourth year, we went to the NIT. And then we had a streak of five NCAA tournaments with Kyle Corver. Yep. You know, we had some Rodney Buford. We had some really good players. And uh, it finally took off in that fourth year. But uh, And here, you know, it's kind of the same thing. You know, uh, sometimes you, sometimes me, but always us. We're going to build this. And, and our guys believed in that. And the third year here, we were able to go to the Sweet 16 with a good group. And, and then it kind of took off. And then when we went to the Final Four, Jed, that, that kind of put us in a different, you know, people thought of us differently then. You know, our recruiting is picked up. We've, we've got some of the one and dones, you know, which we never had until we went to the Final Four. We, there's just so many different ways to do it, you know, with, whether it's transfers or four-year guys or one and dones. You know, some people, have, the Dukes and the Kentuckys, they've gone exclusively with one and dones. A lot of teams have gone exclusively with transfers. Again, we just want guys that want to be here, whether it's a, a four-year player, that Peyton Pritchard, who was a four-year guy who was an All-American last year and is with the Celtics now. Uh, E.J. Singler, another four-year guy. Garrett Sim. We, you know, we've been fortunate. We've had some guys that have been kind of the, the foundation, and then we've added one and Duns, uh, Bol Bol and Troy Brown. And then we've had guys, you know, Dylan Brooks was here for three years. Uh, Jordan Bell for three. Chris Boucher was a junior college transfer. You know, I'm an old junior college coach, an old junior college player, so I've never been, you know, afraid to take those junior college players because I think they're hungry as all get out. And, and they like, you know, the opportunity to go from that small stage to a big stage and, and show everybody what they could do. So, uh, again, there's a lot of different ways. Uh, to bring players together. And, uh, you know, I really, I don't care if they're four-year, three-year, two-year, one-year. I just want them to want to be here and be present for that year, two years, three years, and, and want to get better. And that's where we've been really fortunate. Our staff has picked out guys who want to come to Oregon and prove something, and they're competitors. I think our teams have been competitive. We've had, you know, Dylan Brooks was probably – as good a competitor in all these years I've been doing this, as far as competitiveness, Jordan Bell, really competitive. Chris Boucher, really competitive. Pate Pritchard, very, very competitive. That gives you a chance. That gives you a chance when you got competitors like that. How do you evaluate that? How do your coaches evaluate that before they get into your program? We're having more and more problems with that 
Jed, is, you know, when you don't get to go see him, uh, when you don't get to watch him, say, in a high school setting or AAU setting for a long time, you don't really get to see, you know, their competitiveness. And, and sometimes those things aren't revealed until you have them and watch them for a year, you know, how they go through the ups and downs and, and uh, how they fight back when things don't go their way. You know, you really find out. But I think it's been harder and harder with not being able to go watch a young man, say, for a full year in an AAU setting to see how he handles losing, to see how competitive he is when they're down. When he makes a mistake, does he just hang his head or does he put his head down and get back and, and really try to get it done on the other end? You know, so um, we we watch that. We ask a lot of questions to coaches about their competitiveness you know you can maybe change a few behaviors but I don't think you change guys you try to change their behavior a little bit but who they are and what they are is very difficult to change and so ask a lot of questions to coaches try to evaluate as much as you can competitiveness is one of the most underrated qualities when you're recruiting players that there is because you know the talent you can kind of see how fast they are how high they jump and they're shooting those things you can kind of see but that competitiveness um, you know all those qualities aren't quite as significant if they're not competitive when you set up your strategic plan to recruit i mean is this it changes it's adaptable i mean you look into at that broad spectrum that you described in terms of whether it's an international player, a high school player, a JC person, a transfer, how, how do you go about strategically you know, aligning what you're looking for? I mean, obviously you have a certain scholarship limitation. You have to see, okay, you're going to lose four people this year. So that's going to give you four opportunities. But is that, how do you, how do you strategically plan that? It's really changed over the years, Jed, because for example, when I was at Creighton, we, we had a lot of five-year guys. You know, we, we redshirted a lot of guys. We didn't have many guys leave. Um, so you could plan, you know, okay, here's what we're going to need next year. Here's what we're going to need the following year. You know, that has changed for everybody. With transfers, with guys leaving early for the pros, um, you've got to really be on your toes and, and looking ahead. We've lost guys to transfer that, you know, I sure wish we wouldn't have lost. Guys that you know, I was really developing and really thought the next year they were going to take a big step, and you know they just didn't see the same opportunity as I saw for them, and or they got a little impatient and wanted to go. and And I understand that. You know, I want guys like I said want to be here, you know. But we've lost some guys because they didn't see you know ahead. So you've really got to have your list, you know of. Okay, here's the guys we think are going to be back next year. Here's the guys, you know, that we think may go. Man, it it's uh, it changes. And because of that, you're recruiting all the way through the summer, you know, of who's leaving, you know, is there anybody still out there? And then the other thing is uh, who can reclassify. We've had some guys reclassify, you know, and move up a year and, and come here a year early. Uh, so that's that's been something that and I think maybe done a lot more with this year with a lot of high schools not you know participating you know guys just going to college early it, it it's not an exact science uh, Jed it used to be much easier to predict 
what your needs were going to be. Uh, now, you know, we, we got guys transferring in, guys transferring out, uh, players leaving early, which, you know, if an, a player has an opportunity to, to go support his family, you know, we've always, you know, if that's what your family needs, we want to encourage that. Whatever we can do to help you and your family. Um, you know, we've got a young man from Cameroon. We've got a young man from Mali. You know, we've got two young players from the Dominican Republic. Those guys, you know, came here to get an education and, and find a way to support their families. We want to help them in any way we can. You know, that, that's the great thing about this job is, is you see players from all social economic backgrounds, you know, trying to get an education and trying to use basketball, you know, to help their families. It's great when it does happen. When you see a Chris Boucher sign a two-year contract with Toronto, or you see one of our players go overseas and get a great contract, you know, and be able to take care of their, their families, you know, it, it makes you feel good, you know, and uh, we've got to get some of our players back who are one and done and two and dones to graduate, you know, because I know down the line they're going to need that degree. But right now their window's open, you know, to go play professionally and, and try to make a living that way and, and then come back, get that degree when they're done so that they have their second career, you know, and are able to take care of their families a different way. Chuck Noll used to say, get on with your life's work. Yep. No, I, that's their passion, Jed. You know, people who, who say, oh, you should go and finish school. And, you know, hey, your window's open. you got to take advantage of that. You know, the people that are saying that, you know, are, are people who financially are well off. And, and there's a lot of young men that, you know, their families need their support. And so uh, every family's different. And we encourage them, you know, if, if this is your window and you truly believe that that's the best thing for you and your family, we're going to support you 100%. And if you want to come back, great. But we'll bring you back in 10 years when you're done with your pro career. We'll finish that degree. And, and then we'll go on to another career. The other aspect that you do and your staff to, is developing players. You talked about your summer program. I know you um, were looking for a strength coach, you know, a performance person several years ago. Talk a little bit about how you you man, a, a player comes into your organization, you evaluate them. How do you put a development plan for them from the time they step on? And how do you monitor that and, and so forth? Well, summers are really important. And, and we are hired Evan. Evan's uh, from the Sacramento Kings. I always really felt it was important to get an NBA strength coach on our, our staff. First of all, for guys to, to know that, he has connections in the NBA that we're on the cutting edge that we're working with an NBA team, you know, and staffs to, to get new ideas for training. Um, so we, we want someone with an NBA background, you know, to work with our guys and Evan is really connected. He's done a tremendous job. And so that's one aspect of it. I mentioned the eight weeks in the summer, I think are critical to any player's development. You know, we get to work with them. They get to work with their teammates, play pickup games. You know, our, our staff, I think, really enjoys the individual workouts. I, you know, I got basketball guys. I mentioned Mike Meniga. He loves working out individually. Coach McKenna, a great shooting coach. 
stub loves working individually. I like it. You know, I'd, I'd rather go down and work, you know, an hour individually with the guy than a lot of the other responsibilities I have as a coach. Uh, you know, I, I just like getting in the gym with the guys, you know, it kind of keeps you young and you bounce around, you connect, you know, I, I think I've got a great staff for that. I always have I always talk to our guys about, you know, individual development leads to collectively us being a better team. But, you know, I spend a lot of time, our staff spends a lot of time, you know, here at Eugene, you know, you can get into our facility all the time. we got Mr. Knight built us a great facility here practice gyms right behind me uh, they can get in there anytime and there's absolutely no excuse they live a block away uh, they walk over at any time get in the gym get in the locker room uh, we got six managers you know a manager for every two guys he calls and boom our managers heck our managers work as hard as any of our players they they'll be there anytime to rebound and set up the gun we, we do have a good situation if guys really want to get better do you measure that in terms of when they come in, you have specific things you do? Of course, I had Marcus Elliott on on from P3. And, you know, they use those performance, those uh, plates that they measure people off of in terms of vertical jump and explosion and those. Have, are you using any of those kinds of things? Or Oh, absolutely, Jay. We, we have the Marcus Mariota Performance Center. Again, uh-huh. Mr. Knight uh, graciously yeah. built for the university. And it has all those performance indicators. And when a player gets here, the first two weeks, they go through so many tests to get the baseline of of where their explosiveness is. We've got monitors. They run and it's all recorded, you know, just to see how they run. But the power plates you mentioned, all that, first of all, to detect any deficiencies they may have to prevent injuries. Right. You know, that that's the first thing that in that first two week period. Yes, we're seeing how explosive and where they are as an athlete, but we're also seeing if there's any deficiencies in any uh, body parts, their movements. Uh, what do we initially need to work on to prevent injuries? So, uh, yes, we have a performance center is off the charts and, um, you know, we monitor those guys are checked. I don't know how often every couple months. And uh, everything's measured to see their pro- uh, progress and uh, to also continue to monitor any deficiencies, you know, preventing injuries, Jed. You know, if, if you're not available, you know, that that hurts you and it hurts our team. So I look at that as, as probably the first and most important aspect of those testing facilities, you know, to make sure we keep them healthy. And uh and then secondly, how do we make progress? How about the mental aspect? I mean, that's changed so much over the, you know, players are much more free to talk about anxiety and depression. And so how are you ma- uh, managing and helping players with the mental, the, the whole psychological aspect? Well, we have two sports psychologists on staff here at the University of Oregon. They do work with our players individually. They do some team stuff with, with our guys to try to take oh, away any anxiety they might have about, you know, coming individually. You know, we, we want our guys to feel good about going in there. You know, we don't want them to think, oh, coach will think less of me if, if I go see one of the guys. Right. No, you know, we encourage that, you know, and uh, 
You know, I tell our guys, hey, we're our doors are always open. But if you feel you need to go somewhere else, we want you to. You know, we want you to feel comfortable. You know, some of our best players, you know, have had anxiety performance. You know, they just they get so keyed up and they want it so bad, you know, that that takes away from your performance. You know, and so we've used our guys on staff here to to work with those guys and try to calm them down a little bit, try to give them some things to use before and after or during games to to calm themselves down. So, no, our our psychologists, our sports performance guys are very good, and we encourage our players, you know. And this year, Jed, you know, is so unusual. I, I do see the stress in our guys' eyes more than ever. You know, I mean, it's not college. Heck, I want them to have fun, but, you know, they don't get to go out. Right. You know, there's no parties. Heck, they can't even go out and eat because the restaurants are just takeout. Uh, we go on the road trip, and, you know, we used to have – dinners together and everybody sit around laugh and and now you go get a plastic container and take it back to your room or we're sitting at tables you know so spread out you can't even talk to anybody you know so it's not college you know it's it's so different for them this year i see the stress in their eyes and you know they get tested every day here you know we've got the daily testing and get the test and am i okay you know every day you know i i don't want to miss you know, my two weeks, you know, and uh, so it's just different. It's different. And there's a lot of stress on our players and uh, they want to play. And the only time I see them, you know, kind of relaxes out when we are practicing, they enjoy that. They enjoy the games, but then they just go back to their rooms and are isolated. In the last five years, how have you seen the game change offensively from your perspective and how you've adjusted well, everybody's, you know, really gone to a, a pick and roll. You know, everybody's picking on the ball. You know, there's not as much, uh, you know, passing and moving away from, you know, the ball as, as we've had in the past because young men want to go uh, to the professional ranks. You know, the pick and roll is such a big part of that. That's probably changed. Uh, we still press, you know, which is kind of unusual because most people don't. But uh, I like our depth and, you know, I think it just changes things up, you know, and, and uh, we want to be different than other teams. And so defensively, that gives us something different. But other than that, you know, I mean, they always try to change the rules and take some physicality out of the game, you know, and at times they've done a good job with that. You know, it varies from year to year. Uh, there's a lot more charges being called this year than I think ever before. You know, if a guy gets close, they're giving the charge. And two years ago, it was all blocks, you know, so kind of got to look how the officials are calling the game. But uh, to answer your question, I just think most offenses have gone to a lot more pick and roll, you know, trying to open up the floor, a lot of threes being taken. And I don't know this for a fact, but I think the numbers in the threes are probably down because the players weren't around all summer. Right. You know, and we weren't in the gyms. You guys couldn't get in the gyms, you know, and uh, shoot. So our percentage is down, and I think we got good shooters. And But as I look around the country, I think, you know, a lot of teams' uh, percentages aren't quite as good. But teams, uh, you know, are still taking a lot of threes. The analytics, the numbers, you know, they're, they're encouraging taking those threes or getting to the rim. And uh, so I think those numbers will continue to increase. 
you've also had a knack for winning close games. I mean, do you practice situational basketball? I mean, how do you, how have you been so successful winning close ball games? A lot of it's point guard play, you know, and, and last year, Peyton Pritchard, you know, we won five of six uh, overtime games and we lost to Gonzaga by one in one of them. But other than that, we were, but that's Peyton Pritchard, you know, point guard play is, is so important in that and being connected with your point guard, you know, to set the tone offensively, but also to set the tone defensively, you know, any changes, you know, and I talked to our guys, you know, you always want to win that overtime game on the offensive end. I want to win it on the defensive end, you know, and, I want to win those close games on the defensive end. And so, you know, we really try to sell that to our team, Jed, that those close games are decided just as much on that defensive end as they are on the offensive end. And probably more so, because if you're coming from behind, you know, you've got to get stops, you know. And uh, so we talk a lot about that. We try to emphasize that practicing those late game situations you know, like every program in America, you know, you put two minutes on the clock and you're down six or you're up six or you're up four, down four, and you play those situations out. We don't have any magic wand here. It's just trying to get stops on the defensive end and hope like heck offensively you're connected enough that your point guard knows what you're trying to get out of possession. Who's got the hot hand? Who? Where do we have the advantage? You know, who's... What matchup does does coach think we got an advantage at? You know, and and that point guard getting that guy the ball. Last year, our advantage was usually Peyton Pritchard. Uh-huh. You know, and so he he took most of the shots. You know, and uh, we had Dylan Brooks before that, Joe Young before that, and you know we try to find those guys that have the mismatch and and go to work on the offensive end. But again, I think you win more of those close games on the defensive end than you do on the offensive end. And uh, we try to sell that to our players. I mean, Coach Wooden always felt, uh, I was at UCLA and he'd retired and we went to lunch a lot together. He used to feel that, to your point, your your, your small muscles tighten up in tight games, whereas defensively, you, you, you don't have the same tension. I mean, you can use the larger muscle groups playing defense, whereas when you are on offense, it requires finer muscle skills. And if the anxieties there are some, you're probably not going to be quite as accurate shooting. And to your point, you know, that's why he emphasized the defense as well in terms of trying to win close games. Well, you can, you can control that effort on the defensive end. You know, I mean, and like you said, you just play hard. Okay. You just, you suck up that energy in the last two minutes and you just got to play really hard. That doesn't, there's not usually a lot of anxiety in that okay (laughs) you know you're just you're playing hard come on let's compete let's find a way and then in the last minute there is a lot of tightness on the offensive end you know you know you need a basket and and that is tough you know that anxiety does take over and so um i never thought of it in those terms you just let it go on that defensive end you just play hard and let it go that offensive end no matter what when you know you need a bucket you know guys there's a little tightness there you know, and you're taking that 15 footer or you're taking that three and you know, it needs to go in, you know, there, there's a little tightness there. Last trends. Where do you think college basketball is going? Well, I think, you know, first of all, there's the transfer stuff is, is really going to be different. You know, I, uh, the 
portal's going to open up, players are going to be able to transfer without sitting out. That is going to have an effect on our game. You look at uh, players in the AAUs, you know, they jump around and, you know, if, if they don't like the situation, they move on. And so that is going to change our game. But, you know, players, you know, they want to be able to have the same cho- choices coaches and everybody else has. You know, if, if I want to transfer, go play somewhere else. And so I, I don't um, think that's a bad rule. It'll be different, but I don't think it's bad. You know, uh, players looking for the best situation. I just hope, you know, that, you know, some players stay with what they believe in and, and stick through it and fight through it, you know, because grass isn't always greener on the other side, right. you know, and, and they stay and, and they fight through it. But uh, that'll be different for college basketball. I hope we get through, you know, this year with the sickness and everybody being healthy, you know, because I think, you know, that could have some effect on future scheduling, you know, and, and how far people travel. Some of the cross-country travel, you know, how is that going to be affected? Uh, athletic departments are going to take a big hit. You know, how will that affect staffs and, and budgets moving forward? Because I know here at the University of Oregon, we're talking about a 60 to $65 million deficit this year. And so those are all going to have ramifications at every school school across the country. So it, it will be an interesting time period moving through this pandemic and, and moving into the next couple of years, how athletic departments handle this year that, that most most athletic departments are going to lose you know, a tremendous amount of money. And uh, so that'll have an effect on it, Jed. But as far as basketball on the court, everybody's going to be shooting those threes. Everybody's going to be running pick and roll and, uh, I don't think there'll be a lot of change there other than the fact, you know, I do think when they do open up the transfers where you don't have to sit out or you can just move one time uh, that there will be a lot of transfers even more so. And it'll affect the other sports more than it'll affect ours because we've already been going through it with the one and dones and, and a lot of transfers. I think the football and other sports, uh, it'll affect them a lot more than it's going to affect us. Any defensive trends that you see emerging? You know, I don't. You know, I think uh, there's still a lot of man-to-man being played. There's a few teams like us who play some zone, but I I don't see everybody pressing. You know, I don't see everybody, you know, getting up because the fouls just don't allow it. You know, the the really get-up-in-your-face pressure defense with the hand checks, you know, I think has diminished a little bit. You know, just because there's so many fouls called when you do it. You know, 10, 15 years ago, you could put your hands on a lot more. They really do emphasize the hand checks. Uh, freedom of movement, you know, has been something that the officials, I think, have done a good job with. You know, some of the rule changes, you know, going straight up with two hands. And if there's contact, no foul being called, I think really helps the defense, you know, at least protect the rim a little bit. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I like some of the rule changes that we've had. I think they've been good for the game. But, uh, again, uh, the hand checks, freedom of movement, has really prevented some defenses from the grabbing and holding, you know, that, that went on for a long time. But people do not like coming to Oregon to play against you. They find it to be very, very difficult. When you talk to a variety of college coaches, when they see Oregon away, they don't like that. 
Well, we've had some success here. That's, you know, but college basketball is a home court sport. There's no doubt about it. You know, and, and if you can't win at home, you are in trouble. I think we got a 27, 28 game streak going right now. And like I said, Mr. Knight built us a wonderful building. It is so different though, Jed, this year without any fans in the stands, you know, it, it's really, really different, but uh, you know, it's been a tough place for guys to come in and play, but uh, hopefully we can keep it that way. Good players make it so, so hopefully we continue to get the players to make it a tough place to play. Well, absolutely. But coaching definitely makes a difference and you've made a huge difference in all your different stops. So really appreciate you taking time and visiting with us today. So continued good luck as you approach. Uh, I, I know you're never in it for the individual records, but approaching that 700 mark, it's only four guys that are getting across that. So that's a nice. Well, talk. I appreciate it. Appreciate it, Jed, very much. And uh, sure hope that you have a great holiday season. Well, thank you.